This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Red Earth, a world premiere of a new play and the release of the accompanying graphic novel, co-created by me, GMB Kamichuk, and Andrea Sardison, script by Rick Chafe and Christian Jordan. May 8th to 18th, you can get tickets at brownpapertickets.com. The Earth self-destructs. Its only hope lies in the hands of three women on Mars. A story of legacy, discovery, and what ultimately makes us human. Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pope Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm here with my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry, and our doubly long-suffering producer, Dan. Why why doubly long? Uh, well, because you have to be here with us while we record it, and then listen to us, That's and true. edit it. That's true. That's twice. I do have to listen to it twice, and probably sometimes three times, actually. See? So... I listen to it again through... Quadruply suffering, <laughs> right? Dan Vatabonker. Hey... It's my pleasure. Yes. So we were just talking before we uh, turned the mics on about uh, Justin's art as a virus that is infecting the internet, or put another way, how to make a post go viral. What? Sum that up again for us. Uh, Well, I've noticed on um, the one site that I post to, uh, Imager is kind of the image sharing website. uh, That's the sister to Reddit. So it's very, very, um, like popular site on the internet there's lots of traffic um and it's not necessarily art based it's funny videos and right. and sob stories and just kind of everything and people Reddit are is the place where you can weaponize your opinion yeah it yeah. is pretty brutal so people don't like something or they like something they're very honest about it yeah. whereas a lot of art websites when you post it's usually only warm fuzzy comments or cr- like you know well structured critiques right um imager is a little more uh, raw, <laughs> but it has um, the potential to get you a lot more views and traffic than a lot of sites out there. So I've been—I um, use that site uh, just on a daily basis to just see what the internet is talking about, and then I've started posting on there. You know what? I'm just going to interrupt briefly. Shoot. I just had this vision when you were talking about like all of the. Like how risky it is to put your stuff up there. Oh, but yeah. Like how it's good. Lots of people see it. It's like in uh, on the freeways in Arizona, the billboards there. You know, millions of people drive past them, but they're also full of bullet holes. Oh. <laughs> right? So it's like if you're willing to have your stuff seen and occasionally shot at, then maybe Imager wow. on Reddit is the place to put it. There you go. Right. One thing, we've talked about this before. One thing I've noticed on sites like that that... If you um, if you post anything that you're and you're proud about it, the internet will chew you up and spit you out. So if you ever post like I just did this piece and I'm really happy with aren't how it I turned. great? Aren't I great? Yeah, you will get like um, it's called downvoted. Like people will give you a negative vote, and the comments will be usually like a little snarky, and it won't go anywhere. But as soon as you post. My girlfriend doesn't think she's a great artist. What do you guys think? Oh. It goes super viral and like yeah. hundreds of positive comments. So and <laughs> like, so the way you kind of, um, yeah, just the way you kind of present you it. You have to know your audience, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I sent screenshots to a couple of friends because the other day it was back to back, these viral posts of people like 
just the way they had phrased it, like, I don't think I'm going to do artwork anymore. I saw those posts, yeah. and they were super professional, well-rendered pieces of art. Uh, someone is claiming, like, oh, they're about to give up. If yeah. only someone would notice them. Right? So, yeah, there is that. But, I mean, people like, yeah, I don't know. Okay, so you have two kinds of posts that you post when you post your art. One where you explain how it works, like you show some process, right? So, you do yeah. the sketch and then the renders and then how the vector works and then the final product. And so then another kind. I've noticed on, um, so for example, Instagram, I used to just post the finished product. And then I started taking screenshots of my pieces along the way. And so when I was ready, I had 10 to 15 images of like the sketch to the bare bones shading lights and then the final piece and when i did that i was getting a lot of more a lot more traction on like facebook and, and instagram just because it was more of a like a gallery um and i noticed on imager when i did that things didn't work out so well um but when i had I do a lot of series, so recently I've been drawing a lot of Gundams. So when I would just post the one Gundam and the process to making it, um, most people on the internet didn't care. But when I posted the other 10 Gundams that I've done, as well as the new one, and I had like, it's almost like, here's the gallery of all the, the mechs I've drawn over the last year. That was something that would go viral almost every time. Interesting. So, okay, I've, done so. This, I've done this trick a couple times in a row, just adding like the new Gundam on top of the list. And every time that post right. gets a huge so amount of attention. there's an interesting thing at work here I'm just thinking about. Um, so Jean Baudrillard wrote this book, Simulation, Simulacra, or Simulacra Simulation. Um, you can look it up. But the... Uh, the phrase that always shouts out at me from that book is that the real is only that which can be recreated. Hmm. And that's what people oh. connect to, right? So if you... It's a fluke if it only happens yeah, once. But showing if you, a single image of something, someone's like, okay, yeah, I guess they did that one thing once. But when you demonstrate, here is a whole bunch of them in series, I can do this, this is my thing. It has a lot more weight to any population, any viewership that sees a thing happen more often to um, to a replicatable degree buys the authenticity of that thing. It's, it's kind of why like advertising works. One off good movie versus right. like three in a series of a good movie. That's right. right. Like, it right. also makes your um, your work a collector's item because people are going to want to collect all of them. Yeah. Got to catch got to catch them all. Got to yeah. catch them all. <laughs> but it's also this idea that they can watch also some of the progression. So the when you post your how I did it People don't know actually still how you did it because they don't work the same way that you do. Right. They just know that you have a process. So when you post, I did it, and here I did it again, and here I did it again, it's like the magician, right? He can make the coin disappear over and over and over. People aren't actually that interested in how he learned how to make the coin disappear. They're just excited that they can watch it disappear, mm -hmm. right? And so I think maybe that some of the psychology of what's happening, when you post that string, Probably a lot of the people who are liking or resharing it saw the first ones already. It's not new to them. They're just like, wow, he did it again. Oh, wow, he did it again. Mm -hmm. I love this guy. Oh, he did it again, right? And they're uh, reinvesting in their original excitement. They're able to reinvest it and then share it one more time. So You're not letting them down, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> right? Good job. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's also quite interesting just... Um like not doing new work, but posting it in different ways over time. Like you've done this as well, like kind of throwbacks and, yeah. and like um, taking a bunch of works and collecting them. And just, you know, the first time you, you post something, you're really proud of it and it doesn't get any traction. But when it, you kind of repackage it almost and do it again, suddenly right. 
it catches. Well, and you can do, you know, it's social media is such a silly game now that you now that the algorithms are laid bare to us all and we understand how it works. Or even if you don't understand how it works, you understand the notion that if you want more people to see it, there's a pay button for that. Mm. Right? And in all those sites, except for maybe Imager and Reddit, one of the things that you get from Reddit and Imager is that because there's no monetary investment from you, the poster, that can change the way the post works. It is kind of more democratic in that way. But on all those other sites, uh, from Twitter to Instagram to Facebook to all that, if you want more eyes to see it that have never heard of you, you just pay. You just give money. Right? So um, where was I going with that? Oh, so what I've been doing is if there's something I'm really proud of that's related to a bunch of previous posts that I have, I'll do a, like for Red Earth is a good example. Like, you know, doing plays is new for me. Like people who are following the play world in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada are not looking up my name to check what new play I'm working on, right? Mm -hmm. So promoting posts related to that so that people who are in that community say, oh, hey, here is someone I've never heard of. I didn't know this was happening, has resulted in more engagement in the Red Earth content that I'd been posting for months, right? So one paid post led to more engagement along right. all these other avenues. Um, and that's a new thing for me, like to see, now that it's different, it's sort of like, okay, well, if you can't just let everyone who follows you see it, because they block part of it now, how do I unlock to strangers? Mm -hmm. Since I can't show it to my followers, I might as well pay to show it to everybody. And that's, you know, I don't know what it'll be a few years from now, but that's where it is now, hmm. which is like a weird thing. Which is what I like about your stories about Imager and about Reddit, because there's no way to engineer it yourself beyond observing how the community responds and trying to give that community something they will respond to. And that's and more often than not, I find when I and I'm not, not a huge fan of Reddit, but I find that when I see stuff there, people will call you out if they think you're like, I think at some point someone's going to recognize that tactic of the. Oh, poor me. I'm not a great artist. Someone's going someone's <laughs> to see through that and yeah, call people out on it. I think every happens. so often when they do, the community jumps on them as like, don't be a dick. This person's just, put, just you strong. know. But if you see that person yeah. say that thing more than once, that could be a giveaway. Right? Yeah. I think you can't pull that trick endlessly. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But you can genuinely do it. Like I have seen ones go viral where it's like, here's my four-year-old's drawing, right? Oh, of I, a monster. that happened to my daughter actually right. on Twitter. Um, she, my daughter is, I, I think she's a great artist. I'm not biased or anything, but, um, I think <laughs> she's, no, she's very good. She's nine and she's very good for her age. And she does, she follows a number of YouTuber animators. Um, so these are people who, who create animations every month or every week or whatever. And she drew, so drew some kind of a collab fan art thing of all the characters all in one thing. And I, I, it looked really great. I, I took a photo of it and I posted it on Twitter and I don't know that any of the, and I tagged all the all the people in it who were in the thing. I don't know that any of them retweeted it necessarily, but it got a ton of attention. Right. And it was it was a genuine post. Here's my daughter. She's nine. Yeah. She drew this. What do you think? Yeah. And that way, and it, uh, people loved it. Overall, right. people loved it. But it did it did go viral in a small. And I think way. maybe what people like about that, the psychology of that, is that we want to root for the underdog yeah and like if you're posting your your kid has nothing to gain actually from the internet really liking their work mm -hmm. so nobody withholds their appreciation right our attention now has value right people realize that your attention has been commodified and yeah. like paid per click and all of this kind of stuff and so i think there's like a jaded oh, horrible misrepresentation lurking under every post that you want 
to believe in, mm-hmm. right? When it's an adult saying like, like me, love me. Mm-hmm. But when you're like, hey, here's an innocent child's work, right? You're like, all oh, right, mm-hmm. wonder, mm-hmm. joy. And then is that actually his kid or is he reposting that for fake internet <laughs> points? Yeah, who knows? Well, it's good, but it's not good enough that I can take credit for like it's, it's, certainly she's a better artist than I ever will be, but uh, it, it still looks like a child's drawing. It does right. not look like a, it doesn't look like you guys yet. Yeah. She's not there yet. Right. I guarantee you she will be at some point. Yeah. Sooner than we probably are ready for. Yep. Ralph, if you don't fly, we're out of business. So how is Red Earth going? Oh, it's so cool. We did uh, the first, we're three days into rehearsals now, mm-hmm. and we had the first table read. And for those of you, dear listener, who don't know what that is, a table read is when all of the uh, decision makers sit around a big table and all the actors sit around the big table. And then they go through the script as like a radio drama. Like they're just, everyone's reading in character, following the beats. Someone is giving them the stage direction so they can hear it and learn about it, but they don't actually have to do any of it. Right? Right. And so you just sit and listen uninterrupted to the hour and a half show run start to finish and there was an effort made i'm not i've been in a few table reads where you know you interrupt constantly but there was an effort made in this particular one to have it run more or less uninterrupted from start to finish so it just suddenly it went from a concept that we hope we could bring to life to something that i now know will work like there's stuff that we have to fix, stuff we have to change, whatever. But in the in the broad strokes, I kept saying like, oh, "I wonder what's going to happen next." Like, wow, this is so cool. <laughs> you wrote the thing. <laughs> well, okay. So to clarify, we broke story on it, but there were two scriptwriters that came. Oh, in. right, right. Yeah, they were on the right. podcast, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So Christian and Rick both did the actual writing for the script. So think of it like um, Andrea and I made up Spider Man. And then someone else comes and writes Spider-Man, right? right? It's kind of like that. Like we gave, or uh, how we did Cassian Tonk. You made up everything, and then I came in and then played with the pieces to write the story. Mm-hmm. Same thing right? with Gear and C with Claire. Yeah, right yeah. with Claire. So yeah. it's it's like that. So they absolutely get credit for any time the human element um, connects with the audience. That's a hundred percent their job and what they're good at and what they're working towards. And then Andrea and I will interrupt with things like, um, plot or story or world stuff. Like you, we establish the rules of our world, right. And Mm -hmm. what science we're using. And anytime that we feel like the clarity or the vision of what we wanted the overall theme to be, that's where we might make a suggestion. But how they pivot is up to them. So like a, um, you know, a script point might be uh, in this scene where they're talking about, uh, you know, this violent period of Earth history. We would say to them, let's remember that this theme that we're going to connect at the end, we want to introduce here. But what words they use, how they do it, what character interaction, all of that is still up to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And they ultimately get veto. Like if we say, no, not that we don't tell them what to put there instead, they go and rewrite something and then come back. Right. So trying to keep a clear division between um, us providing them an idea and us telling them what to do. Right. No one wants to be told what to do in a creative space. We invited them because they could do a certain thing. And it's been really wild to, you know, furiously animate. Well, and so here's the other side of it. Why I'm sitting in on this thing, because I'm not the director and I'm, you know, ultimately not the writer there either in the room. Um, 
all of the set and things the characters are interacting with are projections of illustrations. So anytime we make a anytime we make a substantive edit to the script, it might change the location or the elements that we've set up as the visuals. So now I have to madly recontextualize, <laughs> reillustrate, and rebuild the visual elements that then get given to the animators and the projectionists. So they'll make a note and then it changes my notes for illustration and then I have to go into my file tree and be like, okay, well, not this exterior of the ship. I need a, you know, I need the mess hall. I don't have a mess hall. I have to illustrate a mess hall now, right? <laughs> and what are they going to interact within that mess hall? I have to illustrate those elements also. Um, so it's... Uh, Easy. Well, you know what? It it's, feels... How do I put it? Easy is the wrong word and hard is the wrong word. Um, you don't have to build the sets in the traditional sense. Well, but. it's super stressful, right? Like you feel that, oh my gosh, there's no way we have enough time to do it all. But at the same time, everyone is so deeply in service to the idea and everyone there, from the lighting person to the sound person to the actors to the directors, like everyone is also in that ratcheted, we just changed something now we all have to change. So you don't feel that like put upon. It's not like, oh, we made this change you better fix it. The rest of us are going to go for coffee. It's like, oh, we made this change. Now everyone, all 15 people in the room are making changes to their notes, making changes to their workflow. And so now the onus is on you to do it well because everyone... It's a, it's a cascading... It, yeah, there's this cascading thing. And mm -hmm. so when you get it wrong, it cascades through the whole show. And so, yeah, it's not easy or hard. It's just complicated it's complex right and we love it and everyone is gets super fired up and you know it's there's electricity in that room i can't wait to show it to people when is it open it opens may 8th and it's on from may 8th to 18th um so it's a 10-day run um we're also doing shows in the afternoons a bunch of afternoon shows for schools so if a school oh, wants to bring their class yeah, nice. Um, there's a physics class that's coming for sure, and I think there's a, a social studies class. Because the plot is both science-related, right, about, you know, people used up the Earth, right? <laughs> and it's not a story of the colonization of Mars. It's the story that the people who believed they were going to try and colonize Mars now realize they're not a colony, they're an ark. Uh, they're never going to be... Coming back. Yeah, they're yeah. not going to be able to come back, and no one's going to be able to reach them again. And so... What do they owe the planet they came from, and what do they owe to their own future, and hmm. you know how's that going to work? Cool, right? Sounds so great. It's you know it's got lots of stuff for a social studies classroom to talk about. It's got lots of stuff for an English classroom to talk about. It's got lots of stuff for a science classroom to talk about. And it's all it's about three women because if you're going to send people on a mission like that, you don't need men, right? That like we're superfluous. You can bring a lot. You can make a better colony without men at the beginning, hmm. right? Hmm. Interesting. Um, and then they find out that uh, the ghosts of their past are waiting for them on the red planet. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. That's really cool. Yeah, so it's been really wild. And I made a book to go with it. Yeah, so the yeah, other, yeah. The other part of it is that uh, we're just sent off to the printer, the Red Earth book. I have the draft copy of it right here, actually. I brought my report card for you, Dan. Um, <laughs> And so one of the conceits of the story is that one of the characters is kind of a historian. She's documenting the events from her perspective. Yeah. And so we see that happening through the whole course of the play. And then when you leave, when the play is over, 
you're presented the object that she was making the That's whole so time. That's so cool. So now you get to read a different version of it. One person's, you know, the idea is that history is something we decide on. So she decides on what you saw, what it means to her. And so that version is different. You have a disconnect between what you believed it was and meant and what she says it meant. And that is one of the through lines of the play. Like we have to decide which parts of history we're willing to say yes to mm -hmm. and which parts we're wanting to contest. I love cross media um, collaboration like that, where you have like one form and then you do something else with it. Uh, so they get basically they get a takeaway when they leave. They get a, their own graphic novel that yeah. they can reread at their own leisure and explore the world again. Um, they could, I mean, someone could also come back and see the show again yeah. and have a different experience based on their reading of the. That of is the book. our ardent hope: is that someone will come to the early show and be like, "Wait a minute!" They'll read the book, and then they'll go back. Yeah, and then you know, right? it's like watching a movie again. You get yeah. to experience it a different yeah. way. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and now, you know, we've been approached by a few festivals already. Andrea has been. And, and to mount the show in other places. Okay. So, um, I mean, it's the, the deep wish of all playwrights is that the play is uh, well-received mm -hmm. enough that other theaters want to mount the show, mm -hmm. right? So aside from just, like, making it, we also have to systematize it in a way that complete strangers could then take it and run it themselves, okay. which is like a whole other thing. Mission successful. If this is a success, I'd hate to see one of your failures. Now you've digested a little bit, and it's at the printers. Gear and C, Justin, how do you feel? I'm very excited about it. Yeah? It's a, um, well, like you were saying before, it's a jump in medium. It's a young adult novel. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've never had anything to do with selling a novel before. Right. Um, so I'm excited to get it on the table and see what the reactions are and learn how to pitch it properly. Right. We might have to do like a little seminar with Claire on like how to sell. Yeah, like the young adult. Of, yeah, yeah, because yeah, we do what we do well, and she does she does what she does well. Because with graphic novels, you hand it to them, yeah, and within ten seconds, they like it or they they've don't. made up their mind about yeah. it. But a novel, you really have to get them in the door. Right, and you know, unfortunately, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Um, people have been trained with this idea that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. You actually should. You should <laughs> judge a book. You kind of have to. Yeah. You can, you, you said so much work goes into the cover right. and the marketing of it, and it's just like you know the blurb on the back or whatever. You yeah. know, that's what all that stuff that's used to, yeah. to like, market now, books. Now it is true that there's more to the book than its cover. I think that is the actual true statement. Right. There's more to a thing than its cover, but you can judge it by its cover. Right. You make the decision whether or not to yeah. purchase a book based on this cover. Yeah. You're not going to sit there and read. Although, I will say this. I once had a friend um, sell me on a book. He just said, read the first sentence of this book and you will want to buy it. And it was true. Yeah. It was The Fairies of New York by Neil Gaiman. Yeah. And it was that first sentence. Do I can't you remember, remember the first sentence? I can't remember. Yeah. Something about a fairy throwing up somewhere. <laughs> but it was very funny. And it was like, yeah, okay, I got it. You know, like, yeah. there are authors who are able to... Um, who, Really, you in with that first sentence or first paragraph, but most of the time people will look at the overall kind of idea behind it. Right. I think that this book has a lot going for it because it's based on a visual um, graphic novel, right? They they already can picture this world, even though it isn't specifically Cassie and Tonk. Right. Uh, they can still see the style of it, and your and your cover also helps uh, convey that as well. So it's got that going for it. So I think we encapsulated a lot of the sense of the book is reflected in the cover. Well, and because we've been doing all that work on the animation and because, you know, I live in a studio here with you working on stuff constantly, 
I kept reading Claire's draft as if it was animated in your style. Like, that's what I would see. Mm -hmm. um, which was, to me, like, kind of a funny brain thing occurring. <laughs> it was like, I couldn't imagine it the way I often imagine books. I just saw it through this lens. And I wonder how many people who uh, read Casting Tonk or read Rust and Water or are familiar with their stuff, that will be their experience. Mm -hmm. And how different that is from someone who just picks it up as a book, likes mm -hmm. the cover, and keeps reading it the things they see in their mind will be so divorced from what we maybe intended or imagined and yet completely valid and real. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Making up stuff now, so cool. would you not say, and I don't know, you guys talk about how, you know, the audience finds your work, so you don't necessarily create, you didn't create Casting Talk with a specific audience in mind. Would, that, would you say that's accurate? Or did you always mean for it in to be? In my mind, it was for my normal clientele, which is like 18 to 30. 30 year old people who are into like more geek culture. And then once it came out, I realized it was more of a kid's book and it was it, it younger does, audience yeah. than what I had envisioned. Yeah. And I, I think, that, I mean, I bought it for my daughter, right? So, and that's something that um, I do think it, it does have an appeal to young adults. Like that, it does, it's in that genre. So yeah. it's not a stretch for this to be a young adult novel. Whereas there is an already an existing audience for Cassie and Tonk. Yeah. And that was our, yeah. you know, if we take all the creative energy out and just put our business hats on for a second that was also our decisions like we're going to front all this money can you please have business written on that hat on that you're wearing right now? <laughs> i just yeah. love you to put my business hat on dan is making fun of me because no, it's uh, a great i'm wearing hat. a brand new and i'll it was a gift from my son brand it's a new great trucker hat. hat yeah and it's a trucker hat with like a mesh back hat yeah but instead of having something on it it's just white i feel like why it works is that a trucker hat a mesh back hat with something on it two different statements competing with each other, okay. right? Because the mesh back hat is a statement in and of itself. And then whatever you put on it, now you have this like brand disparity competing with it. But because it's blank, it just works as it is. You it's can just fill in what you want. I can, I I like can envision business, business on yeah, that. Yeah, get to have a vision or yeah, the have blank, your creativity. Right, and then and oh, business, business hat. hat. There I like go. that. Yeah. There you go. So if we put our business hats on, Dan, <laughs> um, we had a market that we knew had grown up. Right. Right. We right. had a few thousand people that we knew bought the book and liked the book, and they're a little bit older now. And could we give them a reading experience that matched that in a timely before they grew up again? <laughs> right. 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 And it was like no. And then I have... long-term planning too. Yeah, we, the long we do. Plan. We do plan on doing more in the Cassian Tonk universe, and the plans that are coming next in the next couple of years are getting a little more serious and a little more adult and a, like longer and more a little more intense storytelling. Um, so I don't think like by the time we have like the second and third story in that series, it's not going to read the same as the first one. It's going to yeah, right. be for a bit of an older audience. So you do want to have more novels come out in the series. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, our, the wish of every creative person with an idea, I think is that you will find an audience and then you can do more. Yeah. Um, so, the business hat on, if it sells, we have a threshold that if it sells beyond, we're going to immediately green light the sequel. Um, and if it sells under that, what we're going to do is, I think, look at, is it the book's fault? And I don't mean like because the story's bad, because Claire's story is amazing. Mm -hmm. Is it um, that we misinterpreted where the demand was, kind of like we misinterpreted Cassie and Tonk, where Cassie and Tonk's demand might be? And do we have to shop it into a different audience and let it Yeah, I feel shop? like if it fails, it's going to be because Powerful. of our distribution model. Right. We are visual artists selling visual artwork, and maybe a young adult novel just doesn't fit into our table. Mm. So I, I feel like if it doesn't 
sell like hotcakes, it's going to be because the way we're displaying it at all the shows we right. go to. So I'm, I'm also very excited to see how we sell it versus yeah. how Claire sells it and what those numbers look like. And why it's not like the worst idea ever to give it a shot, no matter what, is we've on a, on a parallel track been slowly uh, developing a relationship with a like uh, what you'd call a traditional book distributor right we have enough titles now we have to sort of cross a threshold of around 15 titles in the catalog and a certain x number of dollars in sales um, and then they will put you in their ca- like they'll make you a distributor worldwide mm-hmm. so we have this capacity of saying okay if not direct sales then certainly indirect sales t- into the traditional market of bookstores where, you know, gasp, books are sold, right? (laughs) So we have this, uh, uh, it's why we really take a risk. I guess all those things go into this idea of the businessman's risk, the business person's risk, pardon me, right? Business hat, like slightly back on again. Um, Also just cost per unit. When we we print like a hardcover graphic novel, it's a lot. There's a lot of material involved. There's a lot of color. There's a lot of... Your time. Yeah. Production um, elements. Compare that to a black and white um, young adult novel that, you know, is on thinner paper. Like, just the the cost of making this book versus yeah. what we're used to is considerably lower. So, that's oh, kind interesting. of... interesting. Yeah. yeah. Even though it's like a thick book right it's, yeah. it's so funny how that is but it's overall smaller and we well, probably have a process of printing books that's way more it's like, more efficient, efficient right. yeah. And, yeah 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 simplify yeah. simpler just one there's no colors is just yeah. one just one thing yeah. although i would love to see i'm just throwing this out there a, a special edition with like prints in the middle you know how you like you have the, the color prints in the middle yeah we would also love that okay yeah. Yeah. that would be great yeah let's let's guarantee 1.5 when we do the reprinting yes that's yeah. right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah in my mind the reprint has flaps right uh, fold okay. in like little mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, flaps yeah. right and it has one of the flaps talks about the cassian tonk show animation or where to go and find it that's right right and on netflix the, and then the inside mm-hmm. has um, a whole bunch of lavish illustrations that Justin's done over the last few years that represent what the people who are responding to the book wish they could see. Look at it this way. You're one step ahead of Lois Lane. She never found out who Clark Kent really was. Like sometimes it's disappointing when you read a novel and you fall in love with these characters and you have an idea of what they look like in their head. Mm. And then you go to buy the second book and that character doesn't look at all like what you had envisioned. Yeah. Is that kind of disappointing if you kind of spell, like, here's what the robot looks like? Yeah, you don't want to lay it out too yeah. much. My favorite Mike Mignola story is I met him at San Diego Comic-Con. Oh. And I was there. This is, like, in my – this is, like, ancient history for me. But I was working on a um, ill-fated science fiction um, web series. And one of the writers, David Keck, was working with – I forget which publisher. It might have been Random House. I'm not sure exactly. Whoever publishes the Christopher Golden – Mike Mignola books, uh, Baltimore and the Vampire okay. Hunter ones. Um, so just to put it in context, I'm at San Diego Comic-Con, and by chance, I happen to have the opportunity to run into Mike Mignola. Well, there's no line. He's just getting set up, and we're, having, we're just having like a general conversation, just a chat. And I ask him how things are going and what's up, and, and he says, um, I'm kind of nervous. I'm freaking out. I have a meeting later. I mean, anyone who knows this is anyone who knows uh, Mr. Mignola. We don't, I don't know him personally, so I guess that's how I should refer to him, <laughs> right? Um, knows that he takes his 
creative process, um, his heart is on his sleeve all the time. Yeah. Right? So he, he constantly is redoing it and trying to do better. So this is not out of character for him. When he says to a complete stranger, I'm a little nervous, I have a meeting with the publisher later, and I have to tell them that I want to redo all the illustrations that I sent them for a book. And I was like, oh, well, why? And I'm just, at that point, just starry-eyed, like, I love your work, how could you ever get anything wrong? Mm -hmm. And he takes out his portfolio, right? Opens it up and says, here's the illustrations of this book I'm working on with Christopher Golden, and I illustrated all the characters. And I realized, why would I do that? It's exactly what you're saying. Why would I take away the joy of imagining all of those people? Why would I do that? Mm -hmm. I ruined this book for people. Instead, what I want to give them is um, some illustrations of the settings. <laughs> Can we hear that dog laughing in the background? That's amazing. Yeah, she's having a drink. Having a drink. <laughs> Opal. She has some treats. Opal, our excellent audio. Hopefully we can hear you. I think she's becoming a little self-conscious about it. You guys are paying way too much attention to me drinking. So Mike shows me these, uh, Mr. Mignola shows me these um, illustrations that are of the setting, of the tone, um, things that would set the scenes, yeah. but not tell you how to yeah. imagine them. And he says, I really want to do this. Fast forward now, and I'm thinking like, wow, that's amazing. I fast forward, and I'm there speaking with David, and... He's there with uh, this publisher, and I was like, how are you guys doing? What's going on? They're like, oh, we're really nervous, right? Because this is also the same time that Hellboy had just come out. So movie? Like, yeah. Okay. So we're meeting with, you know, uh, Mike Mignola, and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a big deal because he's doing illustrations for a book that we're publishing. But we have to tell him that we don't, you know we don't want him to have illustrated the main characters <laughs> right we want just that's like that's hilarious some, and so like, I would love to have been in that meeting right like what you don't want me to do it either yes right <laughs> oh, so man. it was just this wonderful thing where like it's a story that I'll always remember because he cared and he had the project in mind beyond his own work yeah he could have just done the illustrations and forgotten about yeah, it yeah right? and said listen take them or don't take yeah, them yeah. but yeah. they're done um, and the publisher also had the reader in mind, the reader right. experience, saying, like, we want his work because it adds to it, but we don't want him to add so much that it takes away from the reading experience. Yeah. And I just, I've never forgotten that notion. And so I think you're right in this idea of you don't want to illustrate it all perfectly. No. But I think there are moments, like, there are some moments where uh, on the sea, there's some just great ocean scenes I really want to see you illustrate. More the world than the events. Yeah. Right? That's what I want to see. Um, this, can I ask, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but the image that's on the front, is that an actual scene in the book? No, it's uh, it's a little more, it's like the abstract representation. So the, the, the main bit of the story that really stuck with me is it's the relationship between the two main characters and the robot, but I didn't really... So initially... This cover came together very quickly. I was in the middle of like the first two big conventions of my season, and we discussed was, this last week. Yeah, yeah and I was yeah. reading yeah. the book, um, so I knew Paramount. I wanted to have the two girls on the cover, and I didn't want to have an actual drawing of the robot because I didn't want to spell out what the robot looked like. I wanted to people to kind of envision that. Right. Um, so it's uh, yeah, just kind of the. A little more abstract representation okay. of the girls, and then just the elements of the robot without really giving away the cover what represents its final the form. idea of the story, not 
an not an actual yeah. okay yeah. well that's fine but we yeah. still get to see what the what the two main characters look like right yeah. like there's pretty clear depictions of those two girls and they're not a hundred percent accurate to how they're dressed in the the book right. either um one is usually like in a little more like fully clothed and the other is um like a little more dressed for like the beach, like in shorts and like a t-shirt and the others in like layers and stuff like that. So I didn't quite, uh, I was wondering about that. I always, the art director should have rejected your cover. No, (laughs) is that what you're saying? It's, it made sense for the illustration. What fit best in the illustration is what I did. And in my experience, when I'm, having that internal debate of like, should I be accurate to the source material or should I do with what works best for the artwork? Every time I do what's accurate, I wish I had done what visually works best. Composition is king. Composition is Mm -hmm. king. So what works best for the artwork is what I do every time now. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Fire trucks now. Lots of great, lots of great uh, background noise. (laughs) Yeah. It's exciting times. It is. Do you see the armored car pulled up on the curb in front of our building today no. with like guys with their like looking on high alert you didn't notice oh there was a was there a heist going on no i don't think it was a heist oh. i think that the uh um dear listeners from the international community canada now has uh marijuana legally available for purchase <laughs> and oh and the, there's one in this building and isn't the there? main floor of our building is a big uh uh, sweet. They don't need any more product placements, so I won't name them. But I think <laughs> this was them transferring all of their money from a very busy weekend under um, cars and guns and interesting. Like it was, they were pulled up so that there was only like three inches between the door and the back of the truck. Wow. Traffic is stopped. Nobody can get by. This enormous armored car is there, and there's a guy. There's the you know the driver and whoever the money guy is and then a third person with their hand on their weapon so Mm. like they were clearly transferring in their mind an enormous amount of money so those of you who are planning a heist i guess uh i just gave you an idea i mean you probably haven't even heard a word i said for all i know we could be heading into the biggest shootout in the last 20 years yep right gotcha i'll be working on that kid how are we going to fit this book gear and see onto our tables you alluded to the fact that that could be well actually okay so let's let's talk about that because it's easy for me because the cover is my artwork yeah you and so i can print (laughs) like you know why didn't i do an alternate cover it fits in there quite snugly but on your table it's going to stick out as something and it's so it's a different color scheme than you right but maybe that's good. Maybe uh, no one will buy attention. any of my stuff and only that because it's the only good thing in their mind. On oh, the my table. God. I just realized what a competition this is going to be. Who can sell the most gear in three of us? Of the three of us. My money's on Claire. Yeah, I'm sorry, Claire's going to yeah? blow us I, out But of the because water, she, this is what she sells. This is her product. It's a novel. Coming for you, Claire. She's the author. <laughs> um, this is, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing want to I think the favorites. only way that I could compete is to be dishonest, to be like, here's my new book. Right, right. <laughs> right, and put it is in Is your name anywhere sense. on the cover? No, uh, no it's just it's on the just, inside. Just, mine yeah, okay. isn't yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just okay. Claire's. Yeah, just Claire did all the heavy yeah, lifting. She, she, she deserves the cover. Yeah. yeah, like there was a part early on where we were discussing like, oh, it should have our names on it, like it, this way a movie does, like, you know, produced by J.J. Abrams mm. or whatever. But then as it got close to the finish line, we're like, we didn't earn our names plus, on this cover. They don't put George Lucas's name on every Star Wars novel that's out there, no, right? No. But everyone knows his name related yeah. to it, so there is an argument to be made. Okay. So yeah, our right, names right. don't have that kind of clout anyways. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, in this market with her, with the fans who read that stuff, they're more likely to have heard her name than ours. So it's also, it just would pull the clarity away. Who did this book? Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. That makes sense. Right. Totally sense. The clarity. And yeah, I should have I, I do actually, I just realized this. Um, we haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, but this book will be making its debut in Winnipeg at FanQuest. That's right. In my yeah. event. Yeah. And we are bringing Claire into FanQuest yeah. as so a guest. Yeah. Um, so we will have all three of you. And even Sam, who edited it, so the entire entire Gear and C team kind of together for a panel um, talking about it, but also she's going to do a launch and do a reading you know, and all fun. kinds of fun stuff. And like the that. way you said, like, and even Sam, who edited it, it actually, by <laughs> rank of efforts, it goes Claire, Sam, and then us, <laughs> as right. far as, like, uh, the effort of making yeah. the book. Yeah. Planning stage, it went Justin and me and Sam, and, and then, then we brought Claire in. Yeah, but right. when it came to the actual labor... Of the work, it we got to put that in the you right order. You guys actually yeah. missed. I think my favorite meeting to do with this book was you and Sam had left Toronto, and Claire and oh, I yeah, were yeah. still in Toronto. So we went out to like some pub on Monday morning, but we basically hang, hung out all morning and got like some really like key decisions got made. Oh, amazing! Yeah, in cool. some completely empty pub just off Young Street right. in Toronto, awesome. and then we uh, shared a cab to the airport. It was great. Good. Oh, yeah, and that's how dreams are made. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, you guys, uh, this this actually this whole conversation will serve as a bit of a preview to what you guys will talk about at FanQuest and at the uh, whatever panel we end up having. Well, it'll be interesting there too because I think Claire will likely lead that discussion just with her actual, you know, she has the boots on the ground knowledge of what how she pivoted around the decisions. I'm really interested in having that conversation really for the first time in public with mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. to say like, when and you we'll did this, it for the podcast, and it's way. different than what we talked about here, yeah. right? But clearly better for the story. How did you know to follow your instinct and not the plan? Like these right. are the kind of questions I want to ask. Yeah, yeah. So awesome. For sure. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Fan well, Quest is coming together. Yeah. So Super Fan Quest, so. but just before Fan Quest, we'll be in Calgary and then Regina. And then FanQuest? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, FanQuest is June 22nd, 23rd. So So Calgary, Regina, FanQuest. So hopefully, dear listeners, some of you can come and find us at those events. This has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made, and we hope you will join the fight and make comments. (laughs) 